My name is Ben Lofton. I have the privilege of serving on staff here as one of the ministers at New Beginnings Baptist Church on our Gilmer campus. And uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity that uh, Pastor Matt has provided for me to stand up here and share with you guys what the Lord has been doing in my heart this week. And I can tell you that he has been working hard on me with this message. So I pray that today that it is a blessing uh, to each and every one of you. Um, I will tell you that uh, I didn't always grow up enjoying reading but I have really grown to enjoy reading books. It's, it's one of the things I love to do. I read a lot. I try to read a lot. I read a lot of uh, uh, theological books. I read a lot of books for just study for the church. But one of my favorite uh, books to read, or one of my favorite uh, types of books to read, is books on leadership. Uh, I love to read books about high-level leaders, guys that are in high-pressure situations. I love to read about how they make the decisions they make and just how these high-level leaders, how their brains work and how they operate. It, it is uh, fascinating to me. And um, one of the principles that I read about a while back was one that it's called It Takes What It Takes, okay? It's called It Takes What It Takes, and this was by a guy named Trevor Moad. He is a, a, what they call a mental coach. He works with high-level uh, athletes, professional athletes, people like Russell Wilson. He's a quarterback for the uh, Seattle Seahawks. He also works with Nick Saban and some other high-level, uh, like chairman of the board of these major companies, and he talks with them about how they make decisions and what that looks like. And when I say the words, it takes what it takes, let me describe to you what I mean. What it means is this, is that I get to decide what I want to be, but I do not get to decide what it takes to be that thing, okay? I get to decide what I want to be, but I don't get to decide what it takes to be that. And I'm going to give you an example. I told my son I was going to bring him up, so I'm going to talk a little bit. My son loves, my 15-year-old Harrison loves baseball, loves to play baseball, always has. It's one of his favorite things to do, okay? Uh, even when he was three years old, I could put him on the couch and put on a four-hour baseball game, and he would sit there just mesmerized by baseball, okay, which most adults can't do, much less a three-year-old kid. So he loves baseball. And uh, one of the things that I think he would really enjoy getting to do, if it was possible, was to get to play college baseball. That would be good. He would like that. That's a goal of his, which I think is a great goal. But if Harrison doesn't eat right, doesn't exercise, doesn't lift weights, doesn't run, doesn't practice on the mechanics of throwing or hitting a baseball, uh, the chances of him playing college baseball are probably slim to none, right? He's not that's not going to happen. Just like me saying, I really want to be fit. I want to be fit and I want to be healthy. But my diet consists of chicken fried steak, fried chicken, and bluebell ice cream. Guess what? I didn't really want to be fit, did I? No. I wanted to eat what I wanted to eat, but I just wanted to be fit. I want to be able to eat what I want and I want to be able to feed. Exactly. See, she's, she's on board with me. My dad used to tell me all the time that if something is truly important to you, then you make time for it, you figure out a way to get it done. And if you don't make time for it, or if you didn't find a way to get it done, then guess what? It really wasn't that important. We find a way to get done what is important to us, the things that matter. And we spent the summer here at New Beginnings in our life group ministry, adult groups ministry, going through a discipleship classes for new believers and for uh, uh, people that have been believers for a long time called New Purpose and New Person. And um, what we've been discussing is the call of God on his people to be disciples that make disciples, okay? Disciples that make disciples. If you look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, one of the first things he says is, go therefore and make disciples, Right? It's his final command to his followers. It's the thing he says before he leaves and ascends into heaven. But the thing about making disciples is that we have to first, what, be a disciple. We've got to be a disciple of Jesus, right? And what I think sometimes we do is we say that we are a disciple. 
We even say that we want to be a disciple. But then we want to pick and choose what it takes to actually be that. We want to decide what it means to be a disciple rather than allowing God's word to dictate to us what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, okay? We don't get to decide what it takes to be a disciple. We get to decide if we want to be one. But remember, it takes what it takes. So today we're going to look at what Jesus himself has said about what it takes to be a follower, to be a disciple of him. Okay, so I'm going to get you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 9. We're going to start in verse 23. And while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background about some stuff that's happened right before these verses. In these verses, these are pretty familiar passages of Scripture to most people, right? One of the things that happened here is that uh, Jesus asked his disciples who the people thought that he was, and they, they gave him names like Elijah and Moses and all that, right? And then he says, well, who do you think that I am? And this is the famous verse where Peter declares Jesus as the Messiah. He says, well, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God, right? In the, in the account of this in Matthew, he even says, on this foundation, on this rock, that's what I'm going to use to build my church, okay? And then directly after that, Jesus tells them about what's about to happen. He, he tells them that he's going to have to go and he's going to have to suffer at the hands of the elders and the Pharisees, and he is going to have to be crucified to death, right? Once again, in Matthew, this is a point where Peter, at this point, tries to rebuke Jesus, this is where Jesus famously tells him to get behind me, Satan, right? Get behind me. This is an amazing uh, change of events for Peter because only a few breaths earlier, he was saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, and now he's calling him Satan, right? Peter swings pretty hot and pretty cold. If you don't identify with Peter, you should. I do. This is kind of what my life feels like sometimes. But right after he declares that he's going to have to be crucified, we get to verse 23, and this is what it says. And he said to all, remember here, he's not just talking to his disciples, he's talking to everyone that's gathered around. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. So if we look here, we see a pretty clear picture of what it means to be a disciple, what Jesus is telling us it takes to be a disciple, okay? There's really, there's not a lot of uh, argument about what Jesus is saying here too, and really what I want us to discuss this morning is twofold. The first is there is a cost that's associated with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a cost. This verse talks deeply about the cost of what it is to follow Jesus. But I will also say that there is great and priceless gain in a life spent being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to see what the cost is, but we're also going to look at the gain, what we get, what's the reward uh, that we receive. The first thing I would have us notice is it says, like I said, it says, if anyone would come after me, would. That's an important word here because it implies, just like we said before, we have a decision to make, right? We get to decide if we do or do not follow Jesus. If anyone would come after me. I had someone tell me one time uh, when they were talking, we were having a discussion about marriage, and they said this. It always stuck with me. They said, there is a day where each one of us get married. We have a wedding day. That's the day that we get married. But then every day, for the rest of our lives, we get to decide to do what it takes to be married to that person, right? Because at any moment, we can stop. 
We're going to decide not to do that, right? So there, there's a choice that we each have to make. And Jesus tells us that if anyone would come after me, they have a choice to make, right? If we decide to be a disciple of Jesus, if we want to say we're a disciple of Jesus, that's the only choice we get to make. I want to be a disciple. Everything after that, Jesus tells you, okay, here's what you, here's what you have to do. We don't get to decide how to get there. We just, we just get to decide that we want to do it. And according to Jesus, if anyone wants to come after him, if anyone wants to be a disciple, there are three things that he says that we have to do. And this is really the cost that I was talking about. And they are this. He says you are to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. Now, this, this is where things can get a little tricky. Because we'll talk about this in a minute, but if any of y'all are like me, you're probably thinking, I don't know that I really know what it means to deny myself. Okay? Or you may look at that, 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 that sentence that says, take up your cross daily, and you may go, I don't know about that. I think I'm going to pass on taking up my cross. Or you'll say, Jesus, I'm totally willing to follow you as long as you give me a heads up on where we're going, what we're going to be doing. Is it going to be dangerous? Is it going to cost me anything? All that, right? We want to know all the plans up front before I decide uh, uh, to follow uh, Jesus. The problem is, is that's not what it works. It takes what it takes. And these are the three things that it takes. And we have to see these three things as investments that have eternal reward, right? Hey, who's in for the return? Who's in for the reward? Yes, sign me up for the reward and the return, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. But are we willing to make the investment? Everybody wants the harvest, but are we doing the hard work of the soil of our heart and our lives? that produces the things in us that lead to that harvest. So, what does it mean to deny yourself? Jesus says that we're to do it. It's a thing we have to do in order to be a disciple of his. So, what does it mean? So, like most people, I think I didn't really understand what it means to deny myself. And so, let me, let me do a little word translation here for you. This word, deny is the same word that is used when, he, when this talks about Peter denying Jesus in the courtyard. He said, you'll deny me three times, the same word. What this word means is to utterly disown or to have disdain for. So think about that for just a second. When Jesus says you are to deny yourself, what he's telling you, if we read it that way, we read it to say, you are to utterly disown yourself. You are to have disdain for yourself. Now, this isn't the first place in Scripture that we see this idea of self-denial. If we look at 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Colossians 3.3 says, for you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Romans 6.22, just to name a few of them, say, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. It says you're not your own. You have died and you are a slave to Jesus Christ if you are a disciple. 
we do not, as believers, just get to deny part of ourselves. We don't get to deny a few things. We don't get to deny some of it. We get to deny who we are, the very essence of our identity. We are called to deny that thing. Jesus, if you are a believer, gets to tell you who you are. You don't get to make that decision. The old is gone, the new has come. We are blood bought as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the fact that each one of us at, some, at certain points in our lives believes that we still find our identity in this world is in direct denial to the idea that we're supposed to deny ourselves. We don't get to determine that anymore. If you call yourself a disciple, Jesus says very clearly, you need to deny yourself. Jesus now tells you who you are. The second instruction that Christ gives us is take up your cross daily. Now, um, this is probably, in my mind, was always misinterpreted. I, always, I, I, I will use this phrase from time to time, and I think I use it improperly to talk about this. We think of the idea of, um, this is my cross to bear, right? You'll hear someone say, well, that's just my cross to bear. You'll probably, if you talk to my wife long enough, she'll look at you and say, well, Ben, most days Ben, well, he's just my cross to bear. <laughs> she's not wrong. She ain't wrong. She's probably, she's probably right. But that's not particularly what Jesus is talking about. For us to really understand the command to take up your cross daily, we've got to look at how this would have been understood by the people that it was written to, right? So when we read scripture, we read it very first as it was written to the people it was written to. So now what we're talking about, we're talking about first century Jews and Gentile Christians that Paul is writing to. And while here in our church, and let me say this up front, rightly so, uh, we, we carry the cross as a symbol of grace and God's mercy to his people, and it is absolutely those things. We put it as icons on our churches. We carry it as magnetic stickers on our car. We even put it on necklaces, and all those things are right and good. But to a first century Jew, this would not have been the way they understood the cross. The cross to them was a symbol, was a, uh, a device used to torture and murder and kill people. It was terrifying. And the fact that he was saying to carry your cross, take up your cross, this was a punishment, first of all, that was reserved for the worst criminals, right? Not just your everyday criminal, your worst criminals. I heard uh, another pastor, Skip Heitzig, say for us it'd be like saying, take up your electric chair or take up your lethal injection, right? And to carry the cross for that criminal was something that was humiliating. It wasn't just a function of someone carrying it. It was they carried it through the streets as people yelled at them and spit at them and threw things at them and humiliated them as they carried this cross up to where they were going to hang on it and die. So when he says this to the people he says it to, he's literally saying, this is what you get to take up to come after me. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, this doesn't mean that all of us are going to have to die for the sake of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But what it does mean is that as our identity is defined and being made more and more into the image of Christ, that we surrender our will about who we are and about how, what it takes to be a disciple to the will of God the Father, just as Jesus did. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But if not, thy will be done. Right? I don't want to have to do this, but if I do your will. It's the most important thing for a disciple. And while it doesn't mean that we're all going to die for our faith, what it does mean is that we, we, we will encounter hardship. 
We will encounter suffering. We will encounter difficulties in being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. That is unmistakable. Scripture is filled with stories of this. No one escapes it completely. And you might ask, how do I know this? Because Jesus told us that he encountered every bit of this before we did. I know because Jesus suffered suffering. I know because Jesus suffered, so will we. Pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul he said this when writing about the idea of taking up our cross daily. He said, what Jesus is saying here is that when we take the name Christian and openly identify ourselves with Christ, we must be ready not only to bear the normal suffering that life brings, but to bear in the particular suffering of Christ. Not just the normal suffering that Christ bring, that life brings, but in the particular suffering of Christ. John 15, 18 through 19 says it perfectly, I think. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This idea of taking up your cross this understanding that we deny ourselves and we surrender to the will of the Father. There are many, many, many stories that we could talk about of people that have done this. And I'm going to, just for a moment, I'm going to remind you of a familiar one. Uh, and most of you guys, a lot of you have probably heard the story more than once of the missionary uh, Jim Elliott. But I think it fits here and it, it, it always strikes me as uh, impactful. Jim Elliott and uh, his wife were called as missionaries to the Huarani people of the Ecuadorian, uh, of South American in Ecuador. Okay. And this was a remote Indian tribe in the middle of the jungle. And uh, to, long story short, to, they would get in a plane and they would fly over where they lived and they would drop gifts and notes out to them, right, to begin to engage in a relationship with them. They felt very deeply called to this place. And one time they even landed the plane and they took one of the, um, uh, the uh, Huarani on the plane with him. They said they called him George. I don't think that was his name. I doubt it, but that's what they called him, George. Took him up in the plane, and as they're flying around, they see other of the people begin to gather on the beach, and they begin to land the plane, thinking that they're going to engage with these people and begin this relationship. And what actually ended up happening was, when Jim Elliott landed the plane, the other Indians came over, and they killed all of them on the beach right there. Before they ever got a chance to share a word of the gospel, before they ever got to say the name Jesus, they killed them. You know what the great part of this story is, though? Is years later, what you would find is that Jim Elliott's wife, still called to the same mission field, uh, went back to that place, lived with the people, evangelized to the very person, the very man that had killed her husband, and that man's eternity is now secure and safe in Christ Jesus, all because they understood the idea of what it means to uh, deny yourself and to take up your cross and follow me. They said that they read in Jim Elliott's journal the days before he left to go and engage with these people, he had the verse in there, which we're looking at, or part of one of the verses we're looking at today, which is Luke uh, 9.24, that says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Following Jesus can be costly. It will cost you something. It can cost you everything. And in a minute, we're going to talk about the fact that it is infinitely worth it. 
The last thing that Jesus said that's required to be a disciple is to follow him. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. This means that these aren't one-time actions, okay? It's not a take up your cross one time. It's not a decide to follow me one time. Remember the marriage analogy? We decide to be married every day. We take up our cross daily and we follow after Jesus. If we're a disciple of Jesus Christ and we're called to follow him, we are called to follow him every day from this day until the day that Jesus comes back or brings you home. You don't get to do it some of the time. We don't get to do it part of the time. We don't get to do it every now and then. We are called to do it daily. Not when it's just convenient. All the time, every day, daily. I think uh, language is interesting the way it kind of changes over the years. So when I look at you and I say that in our culture, if we say I follow something or someone... I pause because every one of you are thinking it. You already know what I'm going to say, right? You follow them on social media. You follow them on Facebook. You follow them on uh, Instagram or Twitter or whatever the other many social media sites are. What we really mean there is we mean that we get to voyeuristically look into the lives of other people and see what's going on, right? It doesn't mean we're following them anywhere. It means we're going to look at you from a distance and just see either how awesome it is or how wheels off it is, whichever one. A little of both, probably. But in this context, follow literally means follow. We can't just look in on the life of Jesus whenever we want to and decide we're going to check out what's going on from time to time. When Jesus says, follow me, he means you need to go where I went. You need to follow me. We can't call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ if we're deciding we're going to walk on our own path. When I was in high school, I uh, uh, participated in Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and they took us on a hiking trip one summer up into the uh, uh, Ozarks, kind of in the Missouri area, and they did a thing called a night trust hike. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but if you haven't, I'm going to share the experience with you. So it's basically a couple of leaders and a bunch of high school students, and it's pitch black, and you don't have flashlights, and there's a path, and one of them begins to walk down the path, the one in the front. And as he's walking, everybody in a line follows behind him and walks. What you find, though, is that the guy at the front will yell words out. He'll say, root, or rock, or turn, or drop. He'll yell these things back. And if the line's long enough, you'll have another person to yell the same thing back. And the, the, the function of this is when they say, root, my brain goes, I need to start checking out for a root that's coming up, Right? or rock, or turn. They're, they're giving instruction to the people behind them that there's danger ahead. Well, if I only followed them for a minute, then I saw another little path here, and I said, well, you know what, I think this is probably a better path. I'm going to go this way. I no longer have the cover of the protection that comes from following, right? I don't get the, I don't get the danger warnings anymore. I'm not following. Following is where we find the safety, Right? If we look ahead in our path that we're walking on and we don't see anyone ahead, guess what? We're not following anymore. We're leading. And if you're a believer and you look up ahead in your path and you don't see anybody, that's dangerous. You're in trouble. We have to root ourselves in the knowledge that when we deny ourselves, when we take up our cross, that even when the terrain of our life is at its most difficult, that com continuing to follow Christ is still the best and safest option. When it's the hardest, Jesus still provides us with the most safety. 
Being a disciple doesn't mean that Jesus gets to be a part of the story that you're writing for your life or that I'm writing for my life. Jesus doesn't come in halfway through my life story and go, you know what, Ben, you're doing a really good job. I think I'm just going to hop in here and join in on that. Jesus is not interested in joining in everything you or I have going on. Jesus writes the story. Jesus tells us who we are. Jesus does not ever play co-pilot to somebody else's pilot. It's just not how it works. Now, I don't want any of us in here to think that a life spent following Jesus or being a disciple is only filled with suffering and hardship, but it cannot be completely without those things either. There is great blessing, fulfillment, and joy to be found in following Jesus Christ. There's great gain to be had. In verse 24 of Luke 9, it says, we talked about this a second ago, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Once again, we see here that those of us that would seek to save our own lives, that would seek to do our own thing, will ultimately lose our lives. But then it says that whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We know that the people of God are called to suffer from time to time. How do we know this? Because historically, following Jesus has cost people uh, money and comfort and happiness and relationships. Remember, I said happiness, not joy. Joy is a different thing. Happiness is from the outside, right? Possessions, family, and some, to, and some yes, up to and including their life. Don't ever get it wrong, ever. Following Jesus has gotten faithful people killed. It has, it does, and it will. But in that, Jesus tells us that that's in losing their life, that's where they find their life being saved, for the sake of Christ. But the big question, or not the big question, the one thing we've got to ask now is what's the gain? Because the first part of this has been like, oof, that's hard, man. But I told you at the beginning, that there's great cost, but there's a gain that's priceless. And while there are many gains at following Jesus, I'm going to talk about two of them this morning, and they're this. If we faithfully deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus, we get the crown of righteousness, and we get to experience an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Timothy 4.8 says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We get the crown of righteousness. Realize it said here, the crown of righteousness, not a crown of righteousness. We don't all get different crowns of righteousness. We get the crown of Christ's righteousness as a reward for faithfully following Jesus. Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he's telling him that this is his prize for running his race, for keeping the faith, that the Lord himself places the crown of righteousness on Paul's head. He also says that all those who love his appearing will get the same reward. How do we know if someone loved Jesus' appearing? i tell you how. If they denied themselves, if they took up their cross daily, and if they followed him. Those who love Christ's appearing, he's talking about followers of Jesus. He gets the crown of righteousness. 
Look, that sounds awesome, right? I will take the crown of righteousness. Yes, please. One right here. Let's do that. But remember, Paul is writing to someone saying, this is my reward for good, being a good, faithful servant, for going where Christ led me. So if we want the reward that Paul says he's going to receive, guess what? We got to do what Paul did. I've heard it said before that everybody wants Paul's glory. Nobody wants his ministry. <laughs> Shipwrecked, snake bit, beaten, stoned, imprisoned, and ultimately killed for the faith. But all the while, Paul was looking to the crown of righteousness that God said he was going to give him. Now look, this doesn't mean that I'll have to endure everything that the Apostle Paul did, right? But once again, it also means that I don't get to live a life that's devoid of hardship. Hear me say this. If you want the crown of righteousness, you need to go where Jesus went. And if we go where Jesus went, then suffering and hardship is going to be something that we will ultimately endure. But if we do that, we get the crown of righteousness, right? But the second thing we also get is an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is one of my favorite sentences in all of God's Word. So if we look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, it says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The beginning of that verse, Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Why does he say that? If we look just back a little bit, in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, he says this. And this is why he tells them not to lose heart. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He says that we're going to be afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Remember, he's talking to the church. This, 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 this verse is written to you. Because a life of following Jesus is costly, it's difficult, it's hard, Paul tells his, his followers, do not lose heart. Why? Because the suffering and the hardship and, and the loss of this life, Paul calls a light and momentary affliction. Think about that for a minute. When I read that this week, and I've read it a bunch in my life, you know what I heard in my head? Oh, 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 that the Lord would allow me, would allow us to see the sufferings and hardship of this world as light and momentary afflictions. That we see them that way only because we understand that there waits for us the weight of eternal glory beyond all comparison. You know that they use a phrase like this because when he talks about the glory of God, the glory of God literally carries with it the idea of weight. And the idea of this weight is beyond the comparison of any weight that we can ever understand. The affliction is light. It is momentary in the scope of eternity. But what it gains you is an eternal weight of God's glory and being in his presence. 
My prayer is that as a people, new beginnings would not run from the difficult things of following Jesus. That we would be so rooted in the idea of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that when hardship comes, when difficulty comes, when suffering comes, we are able to say, it is but a light and momentary affliction, but it is preparing me and my heart for the weight of eternal glory. I will stand before God and I will receive the crown of righteousness one day. This is what we talk like when we view things with an eternal perspective, when we, when we view our lives in the light of God's eternity. It's what Paul did. God will grant all those who faithfully follow Christ to the end the crown of righteousness, and you'll experience the weight of eternal glory. If we want the crown, if we want to receive and experience the weight of eternal glory, then what we have to do is be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ that follows him where he goes, that denies ourselves daily. It takes what it takes. We don't get to pick. We don't get to choose. Verse 25, Jesus asked the question, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses himself? So after telling all these people, this is what you get to do, you get to deny yourself, you get to utterly disown yourself, you get to take up your cross, you get to follow me. At the very end, he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What does it matter if you get everything you want and lose your life? What if we decide to pursue all the worldly things it has to offer out there? What if we decide to be the leader on our own path that Jesus hasn't set before us? What if we decide to go where we want to go and not where Christ went, never denying ourselves? And even worse, what happens when we get everything we want? We still lose ourselves. But then Jesus says, He tells us earlier, remember, that if we lose our life for his sake, that we find it. Seems clear to me that um, we're going we're gonna to give our identity over to something. We're going to lose it either way. The choice we get to make is, do we lose it to the things of the world? Or do we lose it to the person, the work of Jesus Christ, and the mission of his church? This is the decision you have to make. You're going to give over your identity to something, period. That's not in question here. It's what you give it up to. And as you think about that, as you think about what it means to do either one of those things, I want you to remember the words of Second Corinthians 4.18. As we look to the things that are seen, as we look not to the things that are seen, excuse me, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The things of the world, the glory the money, the stuff, the accolades, all those, those are the things that are seen. And God's word calls them transient. You guys know what the word transient means? It means impermanent or lasting only for a short time. There will come a day where everything that we feel like is good and right in our world that's apart from Jesus Christ will tarnish and it will fall apart. But the only thing that will never let you down is the person and work of Jesus. The only life that will not, that will be well spent is a life spent following Jesus. 
The things that are unseen are eternal. You know what that is? It's the crown of righteousness that God will place on your head. It's the eternal weight of glory that you get to exist in for all of eternity if you spend this light and momentary life following after Jesus. So, what do we do with it? How do we close this out? Here's what I would say. There's two positions here. The first is you don't know Jesus. He's not your Lord and Savior. And you cannot follow him as disciple if you've never followed him as Lord. You can't follow somebody somewhere that you haven't surrendered your life over to. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I will beg you. You want the crown? You want to experience the eternal way? You want to know what it means to be a disciple and someone who follows Jesus? You must know him first. I don't follow anybody that I don't know. But I can promise you this, knowing him is worth it. Following him is infinitely worth it. And if you don't know him today, then there'll be a time here in a few moments you can come down here and you can have a discussion about that. It's the, be- it, it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do and it's the most worthwhile decision you'll ever make. But if we're believers here today, then I think we get to ask ourselves questions. You get to say, am I chasing the comfort and convenience of this world while all the while sacrificing the crown? Am I far more worried about my my condition here than I am the eternal condition of a life spent following Jesus? What am I sacrificing for all the things that I'm chasing after here? Am I satisfied with nibbling at the crumbs of this world while all the while giving up the eternal weight of glory that awaits us? I'd love to give you five ways to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Believer, I'd love to tell you exactly what it means for you to follow Jesus, but guess what? I'm not on your path. We follow wherever he leads. And in sacrificing the things of the world as a follower of Christ, we get to look forward to the eternal day one day where the Lord says, as Paul writes, well done, my good and faithful servant. Think about that for a minute. Think about the weight of that moment that we'll sit in. Oh, that we would see the afflictions of this world as light and momentary. That we would give ourselves over to the mission and the vision and the work of God's church to to know him and to make him known, to be disciples that make disciples all so that we can experience the eternal weight of glory for all. So here in just a second, I'm gonna pray. And when I do, if you don't know Jesus, come down, have a conversation with one of us. Best conversation you'll ever have, I promise. If you need to pray, this altar's open. If you need to confess that you've been sacrificing the things of God for the things of the world, now's a great day to do that. If you need to pray with a pastor or minister, they'll be down here for you. I wanna tell you that the Lord has beat me over the head with this sermon all week long. But the one thing I know Jesus is better. It just is. 
Paul, I didn't say this last hour, I wish I would have. Paul in Philippians says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What that means is I have seen the things of this world, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent, and I can tell you that Jesus is better than all of them. Don't walk out here today without grabbing onto the truth of what it means to follow Jesus and what that brings in your life because it is goodness and it is grace and it is the love of God that we get to lean into as we walk through the hard times and the difficulty of following Jesus. Don't leave here today the way that you came in, okay? Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word that, that, that gives us uh, instruction on what it means to be a disciple, Lord. My prayer for everyone in this room, God, is that, that you would mold us and shape us and turn us into disciples that make disciples, that we would love you in such a way, God, that it would be undeniable to the world and we would know that one day, regardless of what it costs us, that there awaits for us a crown of righteousness and an eternal weight of glory, Father God. Move in this place. Have your will be done, Father God. I love you. I'm thankful for Christ. And I pray all these things in mighty and beautiful name. Amen. As you look up, go ahead and stand up and let's worship and respond.